When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, we are back, and this is episode 224, Developer Relations with Raza. We had an excellent conversation with Raza all about the pretty new field of developer relations, pretty new position at a lot of different companies. I mostly hear about it on Twitter, and I was curious as to what it is and all the inner workings of it, and I'm sure a bunch of you guys are as well. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. Before we cut to this interview, today we'll be talking, like I said, to Raza. He is a self-taught developer that made the jump from IT management to developer relations at multiple large Web3 companies. Currently, he's working at Polygon. That's not the gaming site, that's the blockchain. We'll be diving into what developer relations is, otherwise known as DevRel sometimes, what makes it challenging, and how you can maybe get a job in developer relations or just learn more about it. Let's cut to that interview right now. All right, everybody, we have Raza on the line here. And before we dive into this loaded episode, Raza, what's up? How's your travel life been doing? Because you mentioned you've been traveling a bunch. And uh, what's going on today? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's going good. I just uh, finalized my last travel uh, trip for the year. So looking forward to doing that a lot less. Uh, like I just said, it, it was fun. Saw a lot of the world, but... Also looking forward to doing uh, a lot less traveling uh, next year. Yeah, that's, uh, I can't even imagine. Uh, right before this call, Raza was just telling us that he's been traveling like a madman over the last couple of uh, months, or I guess the whole year. Um, just to give a little bit of background, Raza and I kind of connected, what has it been, two years now, a year and a half or something like that? I don't know. It's been a while. Uh, Raza was in a IT role before, and now he's switched to developer relations. Hence, we're going to be talking a lot about developer relations. Uh, he has a really good insight on that. And I actually learned a ton from him when I took my DevRel role. Now, my DevRel role is very different than Raza's. That's another really key thing. And I think what we're going to be talking about in general is how crazy the width, like the breadth of roles is under this one umbrella, right? Like it's just an insane amount of different kind of jobs you can have, uh, which could be really exciting for a lot of people that maybe are more creative or something like that. Uh, so I really wanted to give that kind of background and that emphasis so that people know that there's not just like, you know, sit down and coding jobs in the tech space. There are a ton more and developer relations is one of them. So without further ado, Raza, I kind of want to give you the floor to break down what developer relations is in your eyes and uh, kind of just give us that overview. Yeah, sure. I think that uh you were spot on when you said developer relations, you know, a very broad, uh, it's more of an umbrella term, I would actually say, because developer relations usually is a department and that consists of different roles and usually lives on the spectrum of uh, technical, from technical to non-technical. But I guess if you look at like, what's the purpose of DevRel, of developer relations, it's 
kind of your bridge between your product and the community or your target audience. So when I say target audience, immediately it might sound like marketing, but it's not that. I mean, I think it was uh, a quote or a good book even written on it that, you know, developer marketing, you don't market to developers. It works wildly different in this space. And I guess that's where developer relations might have emerged as well. But I think that generally speaking, you know, developer relations focuses focuses on your target audience to extremely easy for, for your target audience to extremely easy to understand your product and extremely easy to use your product. And there are more elements to that because a developer relation also serves, as I said, as the bridge. So you have like a feedback loop from the devs to your product. You know, there is an element of actively participating in the community. So one of the things I always say is that, you know, as a, it's difficult to do developer relations as a service because developer relations requires you to have a level of credibility. You know, you as a DevRel should be, should believe in the product itself. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's very broad and depending on where you reside on that spectrum from technical to technical to non-technical, as you said, it, it wouldn't actually even require you to code, but to understand the product very well. And then depending on your role, you know, how you contribute to these elements, to these pillars, so to say, uh, it will be different as well. You just mentioned like my role right now is even vastly different than my previous developer relations role. And if I look at before that, I was a head of a data engineering platform and I had a DevRel team in that department. It was a department of 90 engineers. And, and on top of my head, I think we had four, four DevRels and then, you know, even diving deeper into it, some were dev advocates and some were DevRel engineers. So there, you know, I, I touch upon again, the different roles. So yeah, it's, it's very broad. And even in every company, even in Web3 where I'm at right now, it's very different on how it's, how it's executed. Yeah, thanks for that. Because again, even for the audience there that's probably listening to this, they're like, okay, so now we have a, a little bit of an idea. But as we start drilling down a little bit, you'll realize that it breaks off even more. And before we get there, I think the two big kind of tech words in developer relations is like de developer relations and developer advocacy. Uh, you mentioned that just briefly. I'm really curious, what's your take on like the difference? Is there a direct difference or are they used, you know, interchangeably sometimes? Yeah, 100% they're used inter interchangeably, which I would say, you know, uh, my good homie, Samina, would probably like smash me for it and say, no, you know, you're not supposed to use them interchangeably. There is definitely a difference. And I agree. Developer relations would be the umbrella term, you know, and under developer relations, you have different roles. My role right now is actually much more on the leadership coordinating role. And then a developer advocate is often used as you know, the hands on the keyboard developer advocate, how I would say it. And maybe just like taking a step back and say, okay, what are the different roles in developer relations? I would say that there are a couple of pillars that it relies on, you know, a type of role that focuses more on the community, you know, that those are usually called community managers or maybe technical community managers or, you know, or even advocates, as I said, they're used interchangeably. And then you have a more uh, content or workshop kind of focused advocate that you know works with the product usually it tests the product before it, you know it, the alpha is released and translates uh content 
or creates content to translate the use of the product towards the developers. And it's very outward focusing. It's the face, you know, he or she is the face of the product usually towards the developers. And I guess this role you could call developer advocate. I've heard dev uh, DevRel engineer. I also heard just like just the word DevRel. So, and, and then there's maybe a third part, which oddly in most books, uh, it's not mentioned or traditionally it might not be understood, but partnerships. And I don't want to call it BD or partner success, but in my role so far as de developer in developer relations, the amount of inflow for BD that I get, you know, either that's clients or partners who want to do stuff. Somehow it seems like DevRel is that lower barrier of like uh, uh, to engage with or communicate with. So I get like a lot of questions on clients who want to do stuff with the product um, or partners who want to partner up or even VCs right now, a lot of VCs that reach out to me and that, you know, dealing with them is not part, I would say of my core functionality which again, as I said, like, you know, my goal is to make it extremely easy to understand my platform or product, extremely easy to use our platform and pro or product, helping builders, ed educating builders, educating beginners, maybe helping builders become founders, you know, in, in my current role. But, you know, because of that inflow, there's a handoff. So that's, that, that would be the third pillar. So summarizing would be community, you know, content slash, you know, uh, product engineering, uh, you know, a little bit. And then you would have partnerships. And I think that dev advocates is definitely used interchangeable, but I would, I think personally, I like the term DevRel engineer better because for this specific role, it does help a lot if you have an engineering background. I have an unpopular opinion where I will say as a dev advocate or DevRel engineer, you don't, you don't necessarily need to have been an engineer. I definitely think that if you have sufficient coding knowledge, your you know, self thought uh, coder, you can do this job. I will also say it's much harder because you're talking to an audience of developers where and they usually are on a different level or have a different background or are up to speed or not up to speed, which requires you to switch spaces very fast. And if you have been an engineer, then you kind of understand and relate a little bit better. So I have noticed that that for me personally, you know, my background, I don't, I'm not an engineer, but that, that was difficult for me at the start. Um, and then I guess like, maybe not, it's not a fourth pillar, but it's overarching where you have the head of DevRel folk, uh, function. And that's really more of a, a leadership managerial role. You design program, but, but what I'm doing right now, I'm design programs, try to execute on them. How do, how does my role contribute to the strategy? Like my department, how does that contribute towards the strategy of the company? So Yeah. TLDR, I definitely think that not the same thing, developer relations, more of an umbrella and developer advocate is more of a role that falls underneath it among various roles. There's almost a, a compare and contrast or something that I thought that popped into my mind when you went through all those options and all those uh, pieces of information there was the compare and contrast at a high level only, but of sort of the, the writer, blogger, influencer role versus say a technical writer. Where the technical writer is oftentimes given, you know, write them effectively the manual, write the manual, write the user guide, uh, update the documentation, sometimes internally for an intranet for the company, but then also externally. And by association, I mean, the writers, the guys that are blogging that are trying to get the clicks, they're sometimes writing guides and they're kind of becoming the technical writer 
uh, a little bit there. But then in contrast, again, it's like the technical writer when they're writing documentation that's public, that's also SEO'd and that's also marketed a bit because if someone has purchased the product and doesn't know how to turn it on and they Google that, then you want your uh, your documentation to show up first so that the person gets the most up-to-date and accurate, hopefully, information. Um, and it's just something that popped into my mind between, you know, engineering, DevRel, Dev Advocate, all this. It's sort of a similar compare and contrast because I guess everybody is working so closely that the lines are so blurred. That's spot on. Uh, you know, I couldn't agree more. I def- as I said, I've been in various companies now where I've um, taken over a DevRel department that was part of my department, like t- DevRel team that was part of my department, build one from scratch, and then also like uh, co- come into a much bigger organization. So per your point, I would I would do think that there's a clear distinction of responsibility. If it's up to me, this is the way I would do it. I would say um, documentation is, res- is the responsibility from for the, re- sorry, documentation is the responsibility for engineering. So uh, product engineering, you know, they're responsible for having, you know, the, the documentation that we see when we want to use APIs or when you want to, want to use the product is basically almost like, you know, DocuSaurus kind of like standard, you know, that, that you whip up based on your code base and then has like a more elaborate explanation. I will say that guides are more like this, the, the one, two, three, two specific per use cases and purposes, and that would reside potentially with DevRel, but that's where it gets blurry. So for me, up until documentation, it's actually responsibility for, uh, of engineering because often, you know, uh, in documentation, there are um, it becomes it's it's far more technical and it's and it is meant for developers who are who don't need that additional information. They just want to dive into the product. They have a key understanding of the product and they just want to know how and f- or find nitty gritty uh, details on using the product. So specific features, uh, perhaps integrating spe- specific features. So, and that doesn't actually require a lot of writing around it. I mean, I mean, we all know, for instance, the Stripe documentation extremely well. I would say that that's, for instance, a combination of where I would see what engineering and DevRel would do because it also has code examples and a working sandbox environment even inside the documentation. So I think that that's definitely the standard. But if you would look at what a DevRel would contribute to it, it would be, hey, so in my industry would be how to buy me buy, um, buy you a coffee or buy me a coffee app, how to create that with my product. So that would be a guide specifically and it wouldn't be part of the documentation. You know, that would be very much an article and that is also, you know, from a org perspective, way too expensive to dedicate re- engineering resources to that. You know, an engineer should build and then document, and that's about it. And then this is really something where a DevRel t- picks up and says, okay, you know what, I'm going to build like a small use case so people can actually see how, it's, um, how, how you can use the product, talk to the community about it. And that's, so that's really, I see more of a role for, 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 DevRel, uh, for DevRels. And you also kind of play off in that case as well. You have, you know, like you said, the engineers should be spending their time just financially really building new features. And then the other, the DevRel side would be um, sort of ear to the ground, maybe even on the social medias and the Twitter and the public sphere. And if there's something that's coming up like the World Cup or, you know, some other big event, they might be like, you know what, you know, our product would be good to 
you know, track World Cup scores of a certain country uh, of your choosing, or um, maybe like you know, it, it, it's very usable in this aspect. We can track, uh, you know, where the local Christmas parades are or whatever it is, and then the engineer just goes away and he just builds, writes that documentation meticulously, like you mentioned each little piece, you know, this is what this button does. And that's how you call it this and that. But the other person has the, the public, you know, it's like almost like two brains there. It's like, you have the public brain and you're like, well, the public might be looking for a scoreboard. The public might be looking for Christmas parades. You know, what do we do here? And that's what they would write. Yeah. And I will say, so something I often say is, is that the developer relation department is a horizontal across verticals. So it has a touch point in product engineering. It has a touch point in BD and also a touch point in marketing. Because what you're saying right now would more or less, you know, maybe even say, hey, how do we how do we whip up a marketing campaign? But the danger with that is, is that if you start shilling your product or you start these, hey, uh, win five seats or five free licenses or whatnot, and and started, you know, positioning positioning your product like that, you kind of lose quality engagement. So a hundred percent a devrel. So a devrel you need a variety of skills. So you need to understand how social media works. You need to understand how uh, SEO works. And also, but at the same time, you need to understand how community works. If you know how a community works, you know, you like all of us have been part or a part of Discord server. You can't come in first day and then say, hey, start liking my tweets, start liking my posts, or hey guys, can you just like reach out? No, you actually have to build a relationship. And I think that, as you know, as the name suggests, you know, developer relations. So, a hundred percent that that would be an example of what a developer relation uh, role or engineer or an advocate would bring in, saying, "Hey, we can do something there." Um, but at the same time, if you see how these kind of campaigns are communicated or ideas are executed, I, I should say, at the same time, this person should already be grounded in a community. It's very important that this person doesn't say, hey, you know what, what we're going to do, we're going to pay a bunch of people and then start, let's say, um, echoing a certain uh, a certain message across social media. You can do that, by the way. You, know, you can do that. But I promise you the level of engagement and the quality of engagement that you'll get, you know, you'll get the eyes, you'll get the views, et cetera. But the quality of engagement, in my experience, you know, really suffers from that. And that's something that actually Mike and I recently discussed. Uh, I think it was yesterday, actually, um, as of recording this, is that is that we you know we we do a variety of projects, web development related, uh, maybe app related, even PWA or mobile app, whatever. But a lot of it is behind uh, closed doors, and it's a lot of it's enterprise, a lot of it's kind of hidden. And uh, like I discussed with Mike, I just said, you know, we have done public projects, obviously, like ones that are for clients, but they're okay with us sharing. But over the years, because we've been in business for a number of years, these projects have either shut down, become uh, like not maintained as well, or, you know, whatever, whatever has happened since we've like left the product with them. Um, And we were discussing like, hey, you know, if someone were to come to us and say, um, you know, what, like show us a project that you're like really proud of. It's like our, the, the projects we're the proudest of, and some of them are public, but it's the proud, the projects we're proudest of are behind those, are behind those closed doors. And you're hundred percent right with the engagement is, you know, if I show off a couple of my projects, sure, I can get some clout in some areas, but you know, we've been discussing lately, not to bring this into like an influencer conversation, but we've been talking about, um, you know, starting to, starting to make, 
just some things for ourselves, you know, little products here and there, almost like we're back to the portfolio stage where we're trying to show off our skills again, because, you know, we have those things, but those are older now. And it's like, hey, we need to build a couple things that we ensure that it's maintained. We ensure that that business stays open because, you know, I can't control if I make a, a, a website that, you know, is super fancy, whatever, for the local bakery. Um, and he's okay with me sharing it, but then the local bakery closes for whatever reason. It's like that product's gone and I can't show that off anymore. And you're 100% right. You know, if you have some clout, if you have some, say, visibility um, in the marketplace, you know, your um, your engagement's going to be way better because people are going to be like, I saw this. Like, how did you do that? That looks cool or, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. And and, and per, that, per your point, I do think that there's a specific type of tech influencer in, you know, tech Twitter, but also in our industry that, and it might be counterintuitive to what I just said, but I would say they're the exception. So you see these uh, people that build in public, you see these uh, devrels that are die hard for one product and they're also objective. So they kind of earn the trust. Like, like what I just said, they were already part of the community. So they earn the trust of the community. And you do see that once they, join an organization and I wouldn't call it shilling, but start advocating for that organization. It works really well. Um, you know, really well for that organization in terms of even engagement. And those are the ex exceptions. And I, maybe I should say different. If you want to do it right, I guess what you see with these people is that they start building in public or they start showing the journey in public. People gain a respect, you know, for these people, they start to trust them but also enjoy that journey. They, they get value from that journey. They learn and say, hey, okay, I can do this as well because maybe they have a background, like a non-engineering background or a non-technical background or just you see the sheer amount of work they put in it. And I'll give you two examples. It's if you look at Patrick Collins, he put out a 16-hour course, you know, a couple of years ago, actually, uh, where you could develop as a Python developer in the Web3 space, you know, where all courses were JavaScript focused. And then... I think this year he released a 32 hour course and it really takes you from beginner to expert. Now expert, I would say it definitely takes you from beginner to, you know, deep into the space. And I have so much respect for that course as a professional, not only because I guess we can all respect and understand, like, I know Mike, you've, you've created courses yourself and, and you know, the amount of work that goes into that, but not if you look at the quality of, of the course, he really expects like every piece of terminology explains it. He doesn't use his jargon. He, he makes sure that he talks to you as if you've never heard of a computer before and not disrespectfully, but making sure that along the way you understand everything. And like that, he's just created this trust in the community and a standing. So wherever he goes right now, you know, he's referred to as a 16 or 32 hour course, dude, but he's helped so many people with that. So now when he represents his company, I will not, not name it. I'm not sure if that's okay. But when he represents his company, that works like insane in their favor because this, they have this highly credible person, a developer who, who actually does developer relations and loves building, but is very active in hackathons, et cetera. And he has shown how much work it takes. So he didn't get there. He didn't get here like in, an, in a day or even a week or by growth hacking, not at all. So anyone that knows him, he's, you know, he's been active for several years. And I guess the second person I would say is like Nader, who's also like actually has a non-engineering background and he just went through it all. And then 
he went through it all and most people that like interact with him know like he's a genuine person as well he's technical he's a, he, he has he's an engineer and so when he builds and he shows or he advocates for a, for a brand um they automatically tr you know trust the brand as as well they kind of so the company can lean on let's say the personal brand of this tech influencer so i think that um coming back to the point that i made you need to be grounded but we we know we in devrel definitely also have let's say these uh, i don't want to call it celebrities but like tech influencers you know that have done the work made the effort and now i wouldn't say you can you get cloud but you can ride the wave so the companies can ride their wave like their personal brand wave and then and then benefit from that what i will also say though is a huge misconception for that is that as a devrel you need a huge following which is which is really really not the case i know solid solid dev uh, devrels devrel engineers or advocates or or head of devrels who have a following of a couple of thousand but they're just trusted in the community like the quality of their network because of who they are and and what they represent i think what you said there about like uh nader uh and um Patrick, the other, Patrick, there we go, Nader and Patrick. It, it really resonates with how the proper way to do it, right? Like the proper way to establish yourself and go into and, and profit potentially from it. Because it's all at the end of the day, these engineers that put themselves through this, uh, they need to make money somehow, right? So it makes sense that they were to go through this route. And the great thing is, and I know, I, Raz, I'm pretty sure you've spoken to a lot of different developer relations people, is that a lot of developer relations people will turn down way more roles than they accept because of that kind of bar that they set for themselves. So when you have someone that's respected in the community and they choose to be a developer relation or a developer advocate for something, usually you can trust that as long as they've already established that respect. And that's why it works so well, as, as far as I have seen at least. But if you have people that kind of just clout their way up, and just choose, you know, X role, B role, like just go, just churn through like 10 different developer relations roles. It becomes very obvious very quickly that they A, don't know the technology that they're talking about and B, they're just in it for the money. And I don't think there's a lot of those people out there. And I'd like, I'm obviously not going to name any names because off the top of my head, I just don't follow them. Um, but it just, it, it won't work in the long run anyway. So it doesn't make sense to do that. So that's why. If you take it out of even developer relations, if you take it out of uh, coding and you go look at like a Linus Tech Tips channel, when they work with the sponsor, they kind of do that same kind of checking. Like they don't just work with any sponsor that comes to them. They'll go and vet the sponsor to a certain degree. It's a little bit different there because it's a one-time engagement or a twice engagement, but they do go through their due diligence to make sure that they're not shilling random stuff to their audience, right? So it does... You need to have that trust and you need to build on that trust and you need to never stop building on that trust from what I've seen again. And as, as, as soon as you're up there, as soon as you're, you gain that trust, you need to double down on the, on maintaining it because one little step in the wrong direction could have you like tumbling down. And I think most good developer relations engineers realize that. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that, you know, there's a general principle, I guess, that goes for that in a professional career that you know uh too much job hopping can be like dangerous so to say for for the credibility 
there is actually an exception to this, and that, and and I'm living through it now. Which is, but I'll I'll touch uh, on that. But yeah, hundred percent. And for that reason, I think it's I don't think it's impossible. I just think it's very difficult because I I'm starting to hear people who are gonna do like DevRel as a service, and they have found a way that it could work. Um, but that's what one of the reasons why I think that it's very difficult to be a, a developer relation uh, having a developer relation role because you're kind of so much outward facing, you're the face, let's say almost of the brand itself. Like, you know, when people think about the brand, they think of you and they approach you. And that's why I also think that a huge inflow of BD and partner success comes in is because your face usually is, you know, you're doing talks, keynotes, you're doing speeches, you're doing uh, in a hackathon, you do a presentation, you do workshops, content written, audio, video. So you're there. So I think definitely, um, it, it doesn't work for you if you if you jump around too much. I will uh, I will say though, never have I like experienced in my career like the amount of poaching that happens right now. I definitely think that, and I think it's a problem for multiple reasons. And I'll touch I'll touch upon that. So first of all, I think that everyone is noticing DevRel is a key role. So in Web three, it's kind of identified as you need to have a DevRel because somehow it's working in the benefit of the company. And because of this, you know, the amount of people that I actually know people jumping around right now, if I, you know, if, like say it quite frankly, like they're jumping around and I think it's okay to do it a couple of times. If I have to be honest, because web three is so new that often you start to know these products really when you're internal. So, not naming any names or saying whatsoever. It's just that what you're seeing right now is, is that that is a huge reason. And I've spoken to people who have jumped four times this year in one year. And that's actually the reason they gave me. So they, they went with a company, loads of these companies are actually from a couple of months to a couple of years old, which is really not that old. So the impression that they had and once they joined was wild, was vastly different. So um, and also in Web3, it's kind of like this joke goes around that if you're with a company for six months, it feels like six years. And it really is the case, especially in developer relations, you know, maybe because of the traveling and the amount of work that goes in um, uh, in, in, in this particular field. Uh, but it definitely feels like it's a lot longer. And also because of the, you know, the pace, the space moves. Like I remember at the start of the year, I knew some very knowledgeable people who said that zero knowledge roll-ups was five years from now. And then here we are. So if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But it's like a piece of technology that we thought was like, you know, years away. And then here we are, like people are actually um, uh, building it right now and are almost done building it. Now, I said like people are jumping around because companies are poaching and because they know they need dev roles, which, so, which I think, poses a huge problem because what I'm also seeing is, is that the strategy, the OKRs, KPIs, and the return on investment, these are either not defined or people don't know how to define them in organizations. So they kind of feel like I'm going to hire a DevRel and I'm going to get this Patrick Collins slash Natter effect. So either they think it's a tech influencer role or they might think that, hey, okay, someone might think, okay, you're going to produce videos all day. or they don't actually know what to expect other than, so you're going to tell me now what you want, what, what, 
what, how this is going to benefit me, which I think, and again, I won't name the names, but there's a huge name in the space in the Web3 who this year fired their whole team. And then a couple of, week, couple of weeks later started hiring again because they realized it was a mistake. And so this, usually when you know I get asked about DevRel or, hey, I hear people jumping around and they ask me, so I was in multiple conferences of the past couple of months and younger DevRel engineers ask me, hey, what are the criteria you choose a company? And I will give, and I will tell you this, there are actually a couple of simple, simple ways to check whether this company is right for you and whether you should join as DevRel. The first question you should always ask is, how do you see as a company that the DevRel function contributes to the strategy? I'm going to give you a very simple example. So it's not a secret. I work for Polygon. The main strategic objective is onboarding the next billion developers. Great. So every, every part of the organization should know how they contribute towards that strategy. DevRel as well, because this defines your OKRs, which means these, this is like the objectives I'm going to achieve. And once I achieve, achieve this objective, I have contributed towards the strategy, which means, for instance, I'm going to do hackathons. And then if, I, if I'm responsible for running hackathons, then I get KPIs on it. How many, KPI, how many hackathons a quarter? How many participants per hackathon? You know, and these KPIs allow me to measure my effectiveness. So, and I understand that it's very difficult for new people in DevRel to do this, for, you know, younger DevRel engineers. For me, I've, as I said, I've built departments, I've strategized. This comes a little bit more natural to me, but I've also had to learn it the hard way because for me, DevRel, in a sense, like you said, Mike, I jumped into this, it was new as well, but this is super important. And this is where I'm seeing that a lot of companies are poaching like crazy at the moment because developing this strategy, understanding the pillars, what are your strategic objectives and OKRs for community, for your product, for BDM partnership success from a DevRel point of view, from marketing, then having the proper OKRs and KPIs, which will then answer the question, how do I contribute towards a strategy? What is the value of DevRel? It, it literally, it's, it's a number game and it takes it takes away a lot of, let's say, this uncertainty and for, for an individual you know, jumping around. Because if your expectation is, for instance, you run hackathons or you go to a lot of, let's say your expectation is you're going to travel a lot and do a lot of these keynote speeches. But as a matter of fact, the, the way that the organization sees DevRel is they're going to expect you to write articles all day long now. Now, that is a huge gap in expectation, which causes then people to say, hey, I just don't want to stick around because that's not what I thought what DevRel was. Ironically, sometimes that's how they land the job because they were writing articles, they got noticed, they were you know, active on Twitter. And then they see other organizations, how they do DevRel, which is sending the whole squad and team to these events and cool and the workshops and engage. And so they apply for a DevRel position, but that's like they get something else, completely else in, in return. So... Um, TLDR, I definitely think that make sure you do your due diligence in understanding what an organization expects from DevRel. Make sure you understand from yourself what do you expect from DevRel. And because it's definitely like when we started this call, like when we started this session, we said, hey, it's wildly different. Like the, there's a broad spectrum of how DevRel is executed 100%. So you yourself 
And I know people, I actually know DevRels that says, I don't want to travel ever. Just want to be locked up in a room, write a bunch of content, talk to people, be, you know, be active on Discord. Great. That, that is a DevRel role. But then you need, to, you need to understand what the company wants and if that fits. Um, and, I'm, and again, I'm also noticing that a lot of companies are defining the strategy in understanding how DevRel contributes. It's a weird role. Yes, we need it. But how, what, where, you know, and uh, yeah, it's, I can talk hours about this. Like, how does it fit in an organization? Should it be in its own department? I just said it's a horizontal cross verticals, but again, unpopular opinion. I believe DevRel is its own org. Um, and it can be effective under other organizations. Don't get me wrong. It can be super effective. But again, the strategy needs to be clear. The execution needs to be clear so people can, you know, uh, deliver on that then. The strategy uh, bit that you said really speaks to me because, you know, DevRel or not, you know, a lot of companies don't have a strategy and um, they maybe they'll look at DevRel as something like, hey, uh, you know, articles are good. <laughs> videos are good. Being active on Discord is good. And they just look at, oh, there's benefits in each of these areas. Uh, sure, we'll hire DevRel and uh, we'll just, you know, kind of put them on whatever, write a bunch of articles, but with no direction, uh, like you mentioned the hackathons, write a bunch of hackathons or uh, run a bunch of hackathons, but with no direction and, you know, having those, uh, those indicators, like I think you said the KPI indicators of, of being like, you know, how many people, how many hackathons did I do? How many people showed up to each one? Was it improved, you know, in this certain season? Uh, did I find, you know, less developers in the later ones, but better developers uh were the were they open for work were they not you know there's there's numbers you can go toward to work toward that company strategy but with i mean you mentioned web3 but also just in general even social media at the end of the day being pretty new it's there's so it, it it's almost overwhelming as to what direction to go but i think it's very important to choose a strategy and Commit to it to an extent. Obviously, if it's not working, you can pivot, but at least give it a, give it a chance and tell everybody, you know, the engineers, hey, we're going here. You need to build these tools. DevRel, you need to do, uh, you know, this type of content or be active in these type of discords, for example, and, and really kind of have everybody contribute to that goal instead of just saying like, yeah, well, I mean, YouTube content's cool. Oh, TikTok content's cool. Sure, we'll get a TikTok uh, influencer, make some videos. And it's like, what? It's like, yeah, just make some videos because those are good. Because you on the surface, that's what it kind of looks like. It's just like, oh, cool. I can get some views. That that should be all right. But there's no direction. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think what's worse is that don't underestimate if a company is super successful on TikTok. So let's say, you know, you see this Web3, Web2 or, you know, tech company, whatever. And they're super successful on TikTok. And then now you believe you're convinced and you're going to go to your DevRel and say, do TikTok, <laughs> you know, don't underestimate that this company that you're looking at has a strategy itself. You know, the way they're active and are, are um, successful at TikTok has a lot to do with their strategy, their plan, but also the people they hired because the people they hired, they wanted to do this, assuming, because if they're really, really successful at this, probably they're, you know, everyone was aligned on these goals and they were like, okay, cool. Yeah, this is the plan. This is how we're going to execute. And this is how we're going to like follow up on it. So and I think that, again, that's, that's a big problem because it feeds into that insecurity. It feeds into that gap of like, how do I strategize? How do I execute on DevRel? 
not knowing exactly, you know, how to follow up on that. And then seeing the percent or you're, you're perceiving as another org to be super successful because they call it DevRel and you see them doing something. And it, it's always great to learn, but the danger in that, it, it fits into that insecurity. It fits into that gap. And now you just start like on, on this goose chase, you know, so, you know, spray and pray, um, which a hundred percent doesn't work, even though at the start it might show you some numbers, you know, by now it might sound like a broken record, but again, you really need to take it a step back. What is the company? What are the company goals? Strategic, sorry, strategic objective. What are your OKRs, KPIs? And Matt, like you said, based on these KPIs or sorry, your OKRs, you're going to know whether you're effective or not, because if you achieved your goal, but you didn't contribute towards the strategic objective. So again, an example, let's say I'm running hackathons, but the onboarding of developers isn't as high or not at all, then this is the wrong OKR. You change it and you say, okay, maybe hackathons are not effective for my company. I need to do something else. And then you need to find a different objective. It doesn't mean you need to change your strategic goal. Actually, no, most likely that's not going to happen. Your strategic goals remain the same. It's just like the tactical plan. So, and they need, you know, that's going to change. And these KPIs might even be, and that's also treacherous because the KPIs might be super successful. You know, you measure, you get the participants, you get the quality projects, you, you might even raise on these projects, you know, so there are all these uh, metrics and get for engagement on specifically for hackathons that we designed. And, but if at the end, they don't con contribute to any of the strategic goals, you know, that even though your KPIs, you know, you're crushing them, it's the layer above that you look at the OKR. So, and, and the framework, by the way, that I'm describing right now, it's just a traditional framework. So not everything, so I often say, you know, in Web3, not everything from Web2 is, is evil, like corporate is not evil. There are proven models out there. And I think that this, what I'm describing right now is like a very old and proven um, a method where yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a governance framework for how to execute on business goals. And you can apply it very much, but you need to know how to apply it. But yeah, it, so it's, it's nothing, in, in that, with that regard, it's nothing new. Yeah, I think uh, you kind of nailed it perfectly where there is kind of this a little bit of a wild west uh, in the developer relations space, but it is starting to have some structure put around it. I've noticed that too. Um, I know when you and I first talked, Raza, it was just insane. Like there was no KPIs. It was just chaos. Like Matt was saying, just do, you know, make TikTok videos, get, get more engagement on developer stuff, um, which is not a goal. Like you can't do that. You have to have some sort of strategic method. Uh, let's say I just want to kind of put it back to the junior developer out there, the developer that's just getting into development, or maybe that they've had their first couple of years that's listening. How, how would you like, if they're okay with this chaos right now and the fact that it's becoming more of a structured thing, what would you say to them to be like, what's the first step into developer relations on them? I guess, I guess a couple of things. First of all, it's really a good time to be in for a DevRel engineer because a lot of hiring goes around and I'll give you a gener some generic advice and a specific advice. When people used to ask me, how do I get my first engineering role, you know, or my first role in tech, honestly speaking, the traditional way is to study a vacancy. They actually tell you what they're looking for in the vacancy itself. So no, we're no longer in the space where a year or two years ago in Web3 DevRel, you got hired through being active on Twitter. 
there were no vacancies. So if you go to the website of any blockchain, any protocol, there wasn't actually a vacancy for Devra. The way you got the job is because you were active on Twitter, you engaged with other DevRels, and they were like, hey, you're a cool dude or person or a woman. And then it's like, okay, you just wrote a cool article. You wrote great threads. You did a couple of videos, something that shows, you know, you've done some work in the space that gets you the acknowledgement, but also maybe participating in a DAO or whatnot. And that's how you got um, recognized. That's how, you know, you stood out. And by, you know, from simple things like cracking jokes and building relationships online, on Twitter, for instance, or any social media platform, you basically forge relationships and that would get you in. Now things are changing. So I'm going to a lot of conferences and people th- still think that it, it goes like that. Actually, no. When people ask me, hey, are you hiring for that? De- are you hiring for DevRel? Do you know anyone that's hiring for DevRel? I'll actually send them a link of the vacancy itself. So, you know, my, well, my quick pointers, top three, top four points are, you know, still look at the vacancy. Nowadays, people, you know, companies publish these vacancies actually. So there it gives you a lot of information. If you want to do it, let's say the OG way, the old school way, then really the way to go about it is you start by reading a lot of content in that space and then provide your opinion on it. Don't try to act like an authority on it. I think that's one of the mistakes maybe everyone has made once they were like on social media. But it could just be like, hey, I read this article about stable coins, blew my mind away, really well written, would definitely recommend it. So you start tweeting like that. And trust me, content creators love that. So if someone would write that about my article, like, hey, cool, I appreciate it. I'll reach out, say, thanks, I really appreciate it. And then you know, let me know if you have any feedback. And then once you do that, you'll see your knowledge building up. And then you start maybe writing your own articles or your, provide, or your own opinion. Maybe you'll have an offline call. Like Matt said, like a lot of these things happen behind closed doors. It's true. I had a lot of offline calls with a lot of people. And then just like picking their brain, hey, can I have like a minute? And just have a couple of questions. And then if an event is happening near you and you've done this properly, this, in this way, you've built a genuine relationship. You enforce it actually in IRL, so in Web3 specifically. I can talk about Web3, but in DevRel, specific, DevRel as well, a lot of IRL events happen. You go there, follow up, and the infamous saying, it's not what you know, but who you know, then really plays a huge role because they've seen your work you've connected with them, you're, you've, you're active in the space, and now you can go to, to a person and say, okay, hey, I'm looking for a role, or they might even approach you. But honestly speaking, now more than ever, I would say, especially if you have some, some, sort, some sort of an engineering background, it's relatively easy, not relatively, like the, the road is clear. I wouldn't, wouldn't say it's easy, it's, it's more clear. You can go to a vacancy, apply, and combine that with all the things I just said on how to be active in the space, you would really you increase your chances significantly of being hired. I think that's a key learning. Uh, I, the fact that you know there's the traditional role, the, the traditional way, and then there's the you know go to the vacancies way. Right now, um, it's all out there, and it's very it's becoming more traditional. I think in the sense that uh, you know you can just go and find a job through a vacancy. But I, my, my, I'm curious. You mentioned before that you know you don't have to have a following to become a developer advocate. 
um, which is probably the majority of developer advocates don't have a following and like realistically not everyone does. How do you then without a following prove that you can create the content that will drive a, you know, a, a role like a developer relations role? Proof is in the pudding. So I actually know, and I won't name names, but I know, and I've met them recently in, in real life. And I know some people who just started to write articles and, sh- and shared it and they wouldn't have any likes on their tweet, but I read it. And I even approached these people like, yo, that's a great written article. And I, I would, I would follow them. They had like a hundred followers. I would follow them. It's like, okay, yeah. Cause I need to follow this person. This person is hungry. Uh, you know, he or she's like writing great articles. Like I think our, I keep coming back to article, but could have, could have been a video as well. I, I personally spend some, t- some time when I'm l- searching for a topic also to search for video. I just look at videos with lower views. That's because I'm a content creator, like not much anymore, but I used to be myself. And I knew that I had something to say and maybe my execution on it is not as, you know, sophisticated and it doesn't look as beautiful as other videos, but there's some truth to say it and some different angles. And actually I found that, you know, there is, you know, again, it's also maybe a cliche saying, but the proof is in the pudding, which means if you really show quality work, you will get noticed. Now, here's the thing. It's sooner or later, and it might be later. For a lot of people, it's actually later, which means that I don't want to be, I don't want to like, again, sound cliche, but maybe it's your hundred, the hundred time you posted a video or your, or your thousands tweet. I think that, you know, my account took off like after tweeting 3000, like about 3000 3, tweets or something. So it's, it, it really, for a very few people, it, it goes viral very quick. So don't chase vir- virality. I would say, I would, you know, the, the way to go about it is again, taking your, taking time, investing time in the base. And the way I would do that is by reading and you don't have to wait to create content because creating content means that you just say, Hey, great article. Love this article. Thanks a lot. Add. And then you just add the content. Grade. Boom. That's it. And that's how you start your content creation journey. And the way you validate yourself, you know, the way how you show that you, that you know your stuff is then after a while when you actually do know your stuff, or maybe even not, you could even start writing articles about, hey, read like 20 articles on stable coins. Great. I still don't know what this is. And this is what I'm going to figure out. And then the beauty of that is as people can follow your journey. And then they're like, that is probably the most authentic way to prove where at, at some point you'll, you'll be the expert at stable coins. You'll be like, you know, people can, yeah, I, I actually saw how that happened. So TLDR, proof is in the pudding. You're going to have to put in the work, which means starts by reading, starts by learning, watching a lot of these videos, reading books, and then provide your opinion and then write content on it yourself. And once you write content on, you, on it yourself, you're going to need to start build. And building means whatever shape or form. And then that will you know, be your resume, so to say. What would you say to someone who has been in the, let's say, you know, you said 3000 tweets before your account took off. So let's just choose a random topic. Um, they, they want to become an influencer for uh, Webflow. Let's just say popular website builder. And let's just say they're doing that constantly. They do, you know, the thousand tweets, 1500 tweets, their account still hasn't taken off. 
do you trust the process and just stick with that? Or do you pivot and not necessarily pivot exactly what you're doing? Maybe let's say they're writing guides. They continue writing guides, but maybe they don't do Webflow anymore. Maybe they transition to just say vanilla HTML, CSS, JS or something. They choose something else. What, like, how, what's your advice for someone like that? Do you pivot? Do you not pivot? Should you have a foot in the door in multiple areas, like laser focus? Like what, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I remember me and Mike were actually in the Twitter space once a while ago. And I think we answered like a similar question. And if I would go back, actually, you know, to be maybe a, a bit vulnerable to myself, like I would definitely do it different. So first of all, yes, always trust the process. It is that that is going to like what's going to be required as a baseline. Now you can pivot. I actually did that. And to be, again, to be quite frank, you'll see, like I took a huge hit in my engagement when I went into web three, I started in the Python community, posted a lot about Python. Probably if I'd still do it right now, I still got like, you know, significantly more of attraction than if I post something in web three, my advice is, is try to build something around you as a person. Because if you're going to do that, then no matter which way you pivot, people will always, like, you're the anchor. And I know that's difficult. It's much more difficult, which requires, like, you're going to need to have even more trust in the process. Because the way I did it is actually a shortcut. And I use, you know, kind of like growth hack, hacking growth, growth hacks. So focusing on Python, just, just Python, like, I was doing like about five tweets on my own account and about 80 tweets replying to 80 tweets like a day on like on Twitter. And most of it was related to Python or I would joke about JavaScript. And it's, it's a great way to, like it was a great way actually to forge real connections. So if I look at my Twitter right now, I have no regrets the way I did it other than maybe I wanted to, I should have focused broadly at the start. But other than that, no regrets because of the quality of my network right now. So, I, I definitely think you need to trust in the, trust the process. You could still opt for the route where you're just like focusing on one, one thing. If you do that, my advice to you is I kind of left it halfway. You need to go all in. So there is actually a number that feels magical. So I would say if you go like, let's say just you focus on Webflow, you know, the curve is like this. And if you cannot see my hand, like probably, you know, so the curve is like a bell curve. Like, you know, it's a very, very slow at start, but at some point you curve up, you know, it goes exponentially goes exponentially up. It's just the way it goes. And sooner or later, it will happen. So you definitely need to trust the process. And if you're going to be like all in Webflow and you really, really are going to be the expert, there is like, and I just have this faith, it's like no way you won't establish yourself as a recognized authority, which comes with a significant following, which then once you're there, you can pivot much easier. So in my journey, I would say, I just stopped a little bit too early. And if you just like continue long enough, at some point you can pivot into these different spaces and still get like similar amount of engagement numbers and traction. So I, I am a huge, I'm still a huge favor of focusing as narrow as you can at the very, very start, but you'll need to understand like when you want to broaden out and you need to broaden out right before you become big, quote unquote big. And then, you know, talk maybe about different, uh, different subjects. So web development is a much better one. You know, because web development touches about multiple stacks. So you might be the person that every month you do a different web development stack, a 30-day challenge, every month a different web development. Could. It's very unsustainable when, if you want a professional career in a specific stack, 
But if your objective is to have a social brand, a personal brand on social media, that's actually extremely effective because the majority of the people are looking at beginner content in those first 30 days, you're never going to leave the beginner space. So, which means that from an SEO top of funnel perspective, you get the reach. Now, from a personal brand point of view, you're not known as the jam stack or the, I don't know, the, the, the Django stack. You're not known as a specific stack, you're known as the person that start, tries out multiple ones. So once you pivot out into something else, it, you know, you're still in the web development. So it makes sense. Now, and, and that's the thing you need to understand about social media. People are following you for a specific reason. We're not celebrities. You know, if you're a celebrity, you're being followed for a multitude of reasons. When you're followed in the tech Twitter space, you're followed for very specific reasons. So which means if you don't post content on those specific topics, you lose engagement, period. And, and quickly too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a, it's a steep slope. Um, and I think I, I would be remiss not to say, not to ask why is JavaScript so much better than Python? <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to take that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the war begins. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to do it. Um, okay. Before we wrap up though, uh, what are the best resources for learning what DevRel is? Do you have like a book that you always recommend or a YouTube series? Obviously, we'll link everything in the sh in the show notes. So, uh, yeah. Honestly speaking, everything I know about DevRel, I have read books. Uh, not to be like, I don't even remember most of them. There is actually this book. If you just Google DevRel Developer Relations book, there's the first one that pops up. It says huge developer relations. That is a that was a good one because they actually had frameworks and, and pictures. Uh, and I think that the, the, the thing is, if you're a DevRel engineer, the problem is not you not knowing what developer relations is, is the company not knowing. So even if you do um, that, you know, managing those expectations and understanding what the company wants from you, that's gonna be like your main challenge. Now if you're asking me, you know, it's more like uh, resources so the person can become a better DevRel or, you know, a developer relations engineer or an advocate. Um, I cannot re recommend you like this one book. You need to read this one book or watch these, this one. Resource. It's honestly going to be. So if you, again, if you go, I can Google right now. Let me just double check. It's, it's Is it the build, how to build success, how to build and grow a successful developer relations program? By yes, Carolyn. that's the one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Uh, yeah, I Caroline got it. I've already Blue. put it in the show notes, so I'll definitely have that there. I think I think that one is pretty good. Um, and th there are these smaller books. There's actually one YouTube video that I watched, which was super helpful to me, which was from a Microsoft uh, developer relations manager, and I really liked the way he approached it. I think a lot of let's say the framework I have in my head around these pillars on community and content actually came from him. So um, I, I'll share the link with you, Mike. I think that that's uh, definitely a good video to watch. It's a, it's actually a keynote from I think 2018 or 19 even, because DevRel is not necessarily a new space. Like it came in many forms, um, but it's like, it, it was actually made big, I think by Google and Microsoft but it wasn't necessarily called developer advocate. You had these different kind of roles of, I think it was evangelism or something like developer evangelism uh, and different kind of strategies because they understood that marketing for developers doesn't work the same way 
as for a different target audience. So it actually has been longer, like around longer, but not necessarily in the same name that we might know it now. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely, maybe like I'm oblivious to it, but most books that I looked at didn't necessarily give me what I needed, if I have to be very honest. Gotcha. Uh, well, Raza, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for coming on, spending some time with us, talking about developer relations. It's such a crazy topic that I'm sure at some point we'll probably have you back on to talk even more as it evolves into something else. Uh, but I just want to kind of roll out the red carpet for you. If you have anything you want to plug, you want to talk about anything, just let, you know, this is your time. Now, I appreciate uh, you guys for having me. It was fun talking about it. I definitely think that for anyone who wants to jump into developer relations, it's a beautiful profession to be in. I guess I get to touch my hand on technical and non-technical stuff at the same time. I love meeting people and being uh, engaged in the community. So that is a role that definitely allows you to do that. I will also like remind you, or it's, it's like a, a friendly warning. It's definitely an adventure. It's definitely not uh, anything like you, you might encounter in more traditional uh, career paths. But, you know, if that's the thing that excites you, I would very, very much encourage you the tips that I gave you before, like engage in the community, be active online and reach out. And then this is definitely a career path for you. So and yeah, on socials, um, you know, Raza Codes, you can find me. Uh, feel free to reach out if you have specific questions on, uh, on developer relations. Thank you. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as we did, but it is time to end, but not before we thank our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com, Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com, Bib Hashdash from 9 Block Media on 9blockmedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com, and Watoto Coding via watotocoding.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform you are listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All the Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.